welcome to the Beyond the Diagnosis podcast, where we strive to bring you useful and timely information to inspire and encourage you on your journey with histiocytosis. This is episode 23, Focus on the Future of Histiocytosis Research and Collaboration, with new Histiocyte Society President, Dr. Kim Nichols. special welcome to our Histio community and listeners. I'm your host, Kathy Wisniewski. I'm really excited to dive into today's episode. The Histiocytosis Association and the Histiocyte Society have long been partners in the fight against histiocytosis, working in collaboration to help propel each individual organization toward fulfilling its mission. As you know, on this podcast, we love to provide updates for you along the way, be it what the association or the society is doing. And recently, Kim Nichols from St. Jude Children's Research Hospital took over as the new president of the Histiocyte Society. And in this episode, I got to learn more about her and about the projects the society is currently working on, as well as what her vision is for the future. And I think you'll find this conversation as interesting as I did. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. The Histiocytosis Association and the Histiocyte Society have had a very long and mutually beneficial relationship that spanned nearly 40 years. Over that time, the association has acted as a secretariat for the society, and the two organizations have worked together closely to help each other work towards their missions, which is ultimately to find a cure for histiocytosis. It's a cycle that works beautifully. The patients and families hold events and raise money that's then used to award research grants so that the doctors and scientists can do the research necessary to take us to that next level of knowledge and understanding about these diseases. And then they therefore inform the patients and families about the things that they've discovered, which in turn inspires patients and families to continue the amazing work they're doing to raise awareness and funds for histiocytosis. Now, this sort of symbiotic relationship between a patient and family group and the society of doctors treating and researching a disease is very unique and not something you'll find very often. And it's a relationship that we here at the Histiocytosis Association definitely value immensely. Now, to give a little bit of a background for our listeners who may not know, the Histiocyte Society is a membership group of nearly 250 physicians and scientists who have dedicated a great portion of their careers to treating and researching histiocytoses, hoping to discover better treatments and ultimately a cure. Now, this group meets annually to discuss recent findings in the histio world and to network, build relationships, and find ways to collaborate with one another. In fact, we just wrapped the 38th annual meeting, which took place in Stockholm in September. Now, the leadership of the society, also known as the executive board, is elected by the membership. The president has a three-year term, and then the reins are turned over to the next person. Well, this turnover just took place during the meeting in Stockholm, and the presidency was turned over from Dr. Michael Jordan to my guest with me here on the podcast today. The new president is Dr. Kim Nichols from St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, So, Dr. Nichols, first of all, congratulations and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Kathy. It's really uh, an honor and great pleasure for me to be here and to speak with you and everyone who listens to the podcast. Awesome. Well, why don't we start out by um, you telling us a little bit about yourself and, and your background? So as you mentioned, I'm a pediatric oncologist and I work at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. In terms of my personal past, I was born and grew up in a small town in rural upstate New York, uh, where I loved to ride horses growing up. And when it came time to decide about colleges, I went to Dartmouth College because they had an equestrian team. Now, while I was at Dartmouth, my 
true love for the study of biology emerged, particularly the study of immunology and cancer. And given those evolving interests, I actually changed my mind about becoming a veterinarian, um, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I uh, decided to take a year off. And during that year, I worked as a research technologist at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston in a cancer immunology lab. And this was a really, really exciting time because we were just learning about the workings of the immune system and how you can harness the immune system to better treat cancer. And based on my time as a research technologist and these emerging interests in immunology and cancer, I decided not to go to veterinary school, but to then move on to medical school. So that's kind of my earlier days. <laughs> so since then, since those early days, where has your career trajectory taken you up till now? Yes. So following uh, my time as a research tech, I then went to uh, Duke Medical School in North Carolina. And this was followed by a pediatric residency and a hematology oncology fellowship. The residency was at Children's Hospital of Boston and the fellowship at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. And it was really during my time as a pediatric resident that my interest in histiocytosis emerged. So I was really, really lucky when I was a pediatric resident because one of my mentors was Dr. Robert Arcisi. And for those of you who are listening, um, who may not know Dr. Arcisi, he was a tremendous force in the field of histiocytosis, and he had dedicated his life to diagnosing and treating children with the disease. And when I was a medical resident, he happened to be my attending, and we saw many patients together with histiocytosis, and it was his you know, uh, incredible love of the disease that rubbed off at me at that time. So um, those were the earlier days following my training as a resident and a hematology oncology fellow. I then moved to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And while I was in Philadelphia, I became deeply involved in treating children with HLH, so hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis. And I helped to, to develop a special team there called the histiocytosis treatment team, which focused on mm, better diagnosing and treating children with HLH, educating my colleagues at the hospital about HLH, and just trying overall to improve the outcomes for patients. I subsequently and most recently moved to St. Jude in Memphis. And at St. Jude, I've had really two roles. One is to serve as director of the Division of Cancer Predisposition, and the other has been to work very closely with my colleagues in uh, the treatment of children with histiocytic disorders. And here I work really closely with uh, Dr. Melissa Hines and Patrick Campbell, and we run the histiocytosis and immune dysregulation treatment team. So that's the course of my life in a in a nutshell, Kathy. <laughs> what what would you say it was about histiocytosis that stood out to you and caused you to want to dedicate a large part of your career to studying it? How did you know that this was what you wanted to do? Yeah, well, that's an excellent question. Really, there are two main factors. One was Dr. Arcisi, who I already mentioned. I mean, anyone who's been around him, you know, just, I, you know, I can't explain it. His enthusiasm rubbed off. And, you know, he he really taught me so much in the early days about histiocytosis. So one was really Dr. Arcisi and his mentorship. The other factor that influenced my decision to study histiocytosis was really the patients themselves. 
So I realized through my exposure to, you know, affected children and their families, how challenging these disorders were. And I really wanted to do everything that I could to try to improve the treatment and the outcomes for children. And, you know, these children and families of yesteryear and today, you know, they serve as my inspiration every day to keep trying to do all that I can to um, find better treatments and to improve the overall outcomes. So it's it's really thanks to my mentorship and thanks to my patients and families that I have just been so interested in trying to do all that I can to help everyone. You bring up a good point about how important that mentorship is, because this being such a rare disease, I think that it may be from a career standpoint, maybe a little easy to overlook or to want to pass by um, and and go to you know the bigger things. I remember a, a doctor years ago in the society who said that when he was coming up, he was interested in histiocytosis, and his mentor said, "You'll never make a career in this. Don't mm. even bother." But um, but he did, and is one of the driving forces for histiocytosis over the years. So I think that that's a really important point to make. Yeah, I think. Um... You know, one other small point that I can make in that regard was, I mean, it's these, t- you know, tiny things that really touch you, but can mean a lot as a, as a trainee. And when I went to my first Hissiocyte Society meeting, which we may talk about later, um, I know I've told you this story before, I didn't know a soul. And one of the um, more senior pathologists, Dr. Ronald Jaffe, who also is a giant in the field, you know, he went out of his way to invite me to dinner with him. And honestly, had it not been for him, you know, I would have been all by myself. And I will always think back to that day about his one small gesture and how that really influenced, um, you know, my entry into the society. You know, I've never looked back since that day. So it's it's thanks to people like Drs. Jaffe and RCC that, um, you know, I as a young person at the time really got interested in the field. And I hope myself moving forward, because now really I'm older and I could be considered <laughs> one, not a giant per se, but maybe a dinosaur in the field. You know, I hope that I can encourage and engage young people to become involved in the society because really the young physicians and investigators, you know, they are going to be the lifeblood of the society moving forward. And, you know, eventually the next generation will take over. So I hope that I can, I can serve as a mentor to future young physicians and scientists. Definitely. And you're already doing that, aren't you? We have a I'm new, trying. New, <laughs> I am trying. A new um, mentorship program that was started by the education yes. committee, and you are um, one of the mentors in that program. But Absolutely. I think what you're saying also translates to the community as well, how important it is to um, find someone else who's going through what you're going through and be able to kind of lock arms with them and uh, learn from their experience and be um, propped up and be encouraged by their experience, knowing that someone else has experienced exactly what you're going through. So mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. so very, very important. What would you say has been the best thing and the worst thing about your job so far? Yeah. So I think one of the best things about my job has been, um, the people that I have met. And by that, I really think the most rewarding thing have been my relationships that I developed with with patients and families over the years. And so this gets back to what I said earlier, you know, really, um, they gave meaning to everything that I do. And as you know, I have a job that combines research and clinical care. And 
if it weren't for my interactions with the patients and the families and knowing that what I do in the research lab has potential to improve the lives of these patients, I don't think my research would have the same meaning to me. So really knowing that I can at least try to make a difference in the lives of my patients is, is, is truly inspirational. Um, so that, that really, it's one of the best things about being a doctor. And in my case, the clinician investigator, um, I can't imagine doing it any other way. I think one of the most challenging things is the fact that I and my colleagues can't cure all the patients that we care for. And, this too serves as a, a fuel, you know, to fire us moving forward so that um, with each little step, we can help a little bit more, a little bit more. And the goal in the end is to be able to cure each and every patient so they can have, you know, uh, a, a lot, so they can cure, but also have a life of, of purpose and quality, right? So that, that is my, my ultimate goal, but it also serves as a great challenge because as of today, we've gotten much better than we were 25 and 50 years ago, but we still have further to go moving forward. Right, right. And that's what the Histiocyte Society is all about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's let's talk a little specifically about the Histiocyte Society. You touched on this a little bit, but um, we'll dig in a little deeper. How and when did you learn about the society? And when was it that you became involved? Yes, so I learned about the society back when I was a resident and a hematology oncology fellow working with Dr. RCC. I believe he was one of the founding members of the society when it first started um, in the late 80s. Um, my first meeting was the 13th meeting, which was held in Sausalito, California. And um, actually, when I went to that meeting, and I know I've told you this story before, and I've also told my colleagues, you know, it was really the first time that I had gone to a medical meeting and I felt that I was speaking the language of the people who were there. I was so excited about everything I was learning. I mean, it was it was just amazing to me because it was um, just sparked my interest and it was so exciting. So that was now 25 years ago, which is so hard for me to believe, but it was um, in 1997. Now, ever since that first meeting, and thanks again to Dr. Jaffe for taking me to dinner, you know, I've had the great opportunity to, I don't know if you want to call it rise through the ranks, but I've had a chance to work on many of the, of the committees of the society. So the education committee, which is dedicated to, you know, promoting knowledge about histiocytosis to other investigators, you know, nationally and internationally. The scientific committee, which is involved in um, evaluating the grant proposals uh, that are submitted to the Histiocytosis Association. Um, I've most recently been able to serve as chair of the what's called the HLH Steering Committee. So this is a group of experts uh, in the field who focus on hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis, and we try to develop projects and, uh, you know, that will increase our understanding of, of HLH. And uh, also, as you know, I've been a member of the executive board of the society. And while on that board, I've served in multiple roles as member at large, secretary, president-elect, and now president. And so for the listeners, 
the executive board is really the group that tries to um, steer <laughs> the society, um, you know, hopefully in the right direction, but to try to give it direction and inform what our next, um, you know, goals and purpose of the society will be, you know, what will be our mission, how will we accomplish those goals. So it's been a real honor and learning experience over the last 25 years to, um, you know, move up through the ranks in the society. Awesome. Well, as you mentioned, as of the close of the 38th annual meeting in September that took place in Stockholm, you are now the new president. Now in the society, as I mentioned earlier, president's term runs for three years, but for the sake of our listeners who may not know, before your term starts, you spend two years as president-elect. So you're actually elected as president two years before you actually are president. So tell us about that time for you. First, why did you want to run for president and how did you feel when you won? Oh, let's see. So why did I want to run for president? Well, I wanted to run for president because it's a really exciting time in the world of histiocytosis. There have been so many seminal discoveries related to the underlying biology of both, actually of all of the diseases, longer cell histiocytosis, hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis and the rare histiocytic disorders. And thanks to these discoveries, we now have new ways to diagnose patients and to treat patients. And so it's a really exciting time. So I wanted to become president because I was hoping that, you know, we could take this information and, 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 and build on these successes to try to further improve the outcomes for, for children and adults with histiocytosis. How was I feeling (laughs) at the time that I was elected. Well, I have to admit, I was a little bit, I was excited. Absolutely. Right. But I was also a little bit nervous um, because I have never served in a role like this before. And with this role comes a lot of responsibility. And I realized that I have a lot yet to learn in order to do the best possible job that I can. I also felt proud to have been chosen as a woman for this position. So I am this only the second woman to hold the role of presidency in the 38-year history of the society. And I hope that in serving as a woman president, I can be an inspiration to other young, you know, female physicians and investigators so that they can consider someday also becoming president of the society. So excited, nervous, and proud (laughs) when I was um, chosen as president. (laughs) Now, during your time as president-elect, what was it that you observed or focused on as you're preparing to become president? Yeah, thank you for that question. I realized that might have been part of the first one that I that I skipped over. You know, I think for me, it was really um, important, honestly, to do a couple of things. First, I observed as the president at the time, this is Dr. Michael Jordan, you know, how did he carry out his job? How did he lead these meetings? How did he communicate with people and and help to make decisions? How to bring everyone to a consensus? You know, this was myself personally growing, learning a little bit about leadership skills. I also needed to learn a lot about the society because even though I had functioned in various roles, 
um, you know, I needed to drill down a little bit more and learn about the true operations of the society. You, Kathy, of course, are much more familiar with that. But, you know, what what are the standard operating procedures and what are the rules and regulations? And, you know, I'm still learning about these. But, you know, really what I what I what I wanted to do was learn um, how others have led and how does the society function so that I can take those skills forward as a president of the society. Um, so that's what I did during those initial two years. And starting your role as president, you must have some big dreams and visions um, and a lot of excitement for the organization as well. And, and like you mentioned, some nerves. <laughs> so how yeah. have you been feeling leading up to and now starting your presidency? How do I feel leading up to and starting the presidency? Well, I feel like I said, I feel really, um, really, really excited. And I hope that I can bring, you know, energy to the position. And I think that there are a lot of projects that we have uh, to work on as a society. Given, I mean, the tremendous advances in our understanding of the underlying biology. And for people listening, I mean, we've learned a lot about kind of the, the genetic changes that drive both HLH and longer Hansel histiocytosis, as well as the rare histiocytic disorders. And based on those changes, we've learned how to diagnose and treat these conditions better. So my hope is that moving forward, the society can, you know, partner with other organizations and with family groups to do all that we can, first of all, to improve the identification of patients with histiocytosis to optimize the treatments of patients with histiocytosis while at the same time minimizing the side effects. And I would also like, as I mentioned earlier, to engage the younger generation because I think these will be the lifeblood of the society. So hopefully, you know, coming in fresh to this position, I can instill some excitement and energy in others to, you know, try to accomplish these goals. And Looking back and seeing how far we've come over the past 25 years, you know, I have full confidence that moving forward, we'll be able to accomplish really great things together, both the Histocyte Society, as well as the association and other parent organizations. We're going to, we're going to dig into that a little bit more in a second. But first, when, when you take over as president, the president whose term just ended uh, remains on the board for another year as past president. And this Mm -hmm. helps with continuity and organizational memory and things like this. Mm -hmm. But it also means that there's a nice transition period as the Mm -hmm. past president continues to see some see through some of their own projects. So what are some of the carryover items that you, along with Michael Jordan, our past president, as well as the rest of the board are currently working on? Yeah, well, I think one of the things that we are trying to do is to uh, increase awareness and education around histiocytosis. And while, of course, all of us within the organization are very familiar with these diseases, you know, what I've come to appreciate is that there are many providers around the world who really, um, you know, rarely see these conditions. The conditions are complicated. Uh, No two patients present in the same way or respond to therapy in the same way. And, you know, early diagnosis and treatment is paramount to a successful outcome. So one of the things that we're trying to do is really facilitate education and awareness about histiocytosis. And there are different ways that we are doing this. One, you know, one way is by having our meetings, for example, where we uh, hope to engage members of the community from all around the world. But there there are several other initiatives underway. 
We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll learn more about the current ongoing projects that the Society is working on, as well as Dr. Nichols' vision for her presidency and the future direction of the organization. We'll be right back. Are you looking for an opportunity to connect with other patients and families, as well as have access to essential medical and research information presented by leading histio physicians? Join us on November 10th and 11th for a patient family conference on histiocytic disorders live in Memphis, Tennessee and online. This one and a half day event will cover all histiocytic disorders and is beneficial for both adult and pediatric patients. There will also be a continued medical education opportunity for medical professionals and talks on clinical trial and registry opportunities, emotional and mental wellness, transitioning care, finding a specialist, and there will be networking opportunities both with histio experts as well as other patients and families. Can't join us in person in Memphis? That's okay. You can tune in virtually as well and will be able to engage with us in the discussions. Registration for both the in-person and online event is required. Please visit www.histio.org backslash national conference to learn more and save your seat. We can't wait to see you there and are so grateful for this opportunity to bring us all together to learn and to connect. Practice Point Communications is a medical education company that specializes in accredited education for healthcare providers. Our activities offer the leading experts in various therapeutic areas to deliver high quality medical education. Our activities are current with the evolving landscape in medical research, clinical trials, and guidelines. We invite you to visit www.practicepointcme.com to see what opportunities are available. We offer live in-person lectures and webcasts, as well as enduring and archived activities that include leading expert roundtables, conference highlights, and quarterly updates on leading research and publications. We also encourage you to visit the rare diseases section of our website and participate in our ongoing live lectures and archived education in HLH. We have several dinner activities coming up this fall, in addition to an online opportunity you can view anywhere. PPC also offers a free mobile app you can download to receive all your education, as well as track your credits from your phone. Visit www.practicepointcme.com today to start your educational journey with us. The other thing that we're going to do, and this stems especially from our most recent society meeting, is to solidify our interaction and relationship with the Histocytosis Association and the parent organizations. The one thing I realize is that we can accomplish so much more working together than either can alone. And this feeds back then into what I said about increasing awareness about histocytosis. Uh, Hopefully by working together, we can reach out to communities throughout the world to improve um, the recognition and diagnosis of these diseases. So these efforts, you know, while they may sound rather straightforward, they're really, really, really important because it's the only way that we're going to, you know, move things forward. Those are 
those are some of the projects that um, I would like to work on um, moving forward and that carry over from the previous presidency. So as promised, now comes the exciting part. What are the, some of the things that you want to accomplish during your term? What are the high impact projects that you have in mind moving forward over the next three years? Yeah, well, this is a really um, challenging question. It's a really important one. And my three years may stretch into a little bit longer than three years. But, you know, when I when I look back uh, to what has been accomplished over the last 25 years, I'm just going to summarize that briefly. We have learned so much. So we have seen the completion of the LCH2 and LCH3 clinical trials, as well as the HLH94 in 2004 clinical trials. And, you know, these trials have taught us so much about how to treat patients with longer cell histocytosis and HLH respectively. I've already discussed and I'll emphasize again, you know, we've seen tremendous advances in our knowledge of the genetics of both LCH, HLH, and the rare histocytic disorders. And this has really opened, you know, avenues to new treatments for these diseases. We have seen the development of mouse models, um, you know, and these mouse models help us better understand kind of the cells and molecules that drive these diseases. And the mouse model serves as an excellent way to test new therapies. So there have been really, really tremendous advances, but at the same time, there've been some challenges, not the least of which is the COVID pandemic, you know, the coronavirus pandemic that we've, that we've had to endure. But what we, what we recognize is that the conditions are still incompletely understood. Not everybody responds to therapy. Running clinical trials as we did in the earlier days with LCH2, 3, and HLH94 and 2004 trials is really not possible anymore. These trials are very expensive and the regulatory um, you know, requirements for running trials in the United States and Europe are very, very different. So looking back on all these, when I think about, you know, what am I going to do moving forward? What I'd really like to do is build on the successes. And what that means um, in reality is trying to work with my colleagues here in the society to, you know, develop what we think will be the best treatments for these diseases. There are currently, for example, in LCH, I'll just give one example, we know that a certain genetic pathway is important for driving disease. There are now many drugs that will target this pathway. And we know that when you treat patients with LCH, with these drugs, many of them respond very nicely. But the question remains, you know, what's the best drug? When should it be started? When should it be stopped? Should it be combined with chemotherapy or not? So my hope is, this is just one example, my hope is that we can take the information that we've learned, further improve upon it, so that ultimately we can cure more patients with the disease. Um, that may take longer than three years, but I think we have real potential to you know, further kind of push the boundaries of cure for, for LCH and the other histiocytic disorders. So I think we're really at the, you know, we're, we're at the cutting edge. We are ready to just blast off and make these, you know, these discoveries. And the one thing, Kathy, that's really exciting is that, you know, historically the clinical trials have all been large trials with many patients. They've taken many years to answer questions, but I think we're learning in the pediatric oncology community that, you know, you can run trials um, in a much more 
nimble way with fewer patients and over a shorter time frame. And while I realize that, you know, the society itself may not have the resources to run the clinical trials, these trials can be informed by, you know, the experts that are members of the society. And if we partner with um, investigators and families throughout the world, hopefully we can run these trials more quickly. We can learn from them um, in a more rapid way, and then we can capitalize on the benefits of the outcomes. So that's really, you know, one of my, one of my major goals over the next years. I think the other thing too, is that I would really like to um, learn more from the family groups. Um, you know, what are their needs? What are their questions? What can we do as a society to, to most effectively partner with the family organizations? And so I think, you know, these are two major areas that I would like to make advances in over the next years. Actually, there's one more. The other is what I have come to recognize over the years is, you know, how fortunate I am to work in, you know, um, a developed country and in a tertiary care medical center. You know, I have access to all the latest medications and the most cutting edge, you know, diagnostic um, and therapeutic practices, but this is definitely not the case in other places in the world. So I think one thing that will be really, really important is trying to work as a society to better understand what is possible in other parts of the world in terms of treating histiocytosis and what can we do to facilitate access to the cutting edge technologies and medications. Now that's a big question, but hopefully we can make a little dent in the next few years. So uh, several different areas to work on, but all very important areas in my mind. Excellent. And you know, your, your second point there is a great segue to uh, what I wanted to talk about next. Um, back in 2016, our then-president, uh, Carlos Rodriguez Galindo, began an initiative to involve and collaborate more with the international family groups. And there are many groups around the globe just like the association in places like Canada and Greece, the UK, France, Spain, Argentina, and many others who are uh, very interested in collaboration and working with the society more closely so that we can all work towards our common goals together. Because like you said, we can go so much further, faster if we work together than mm -hmm. we can if we work separately. Now that that initiative got off to a very exciting start. It was a very um, dynamic meeting with a lot of mm -hmm. attendance, uh, but for various reasons, including the global pandemic, much of the work of that uh, initiative came to a halt until this year when this initiative was revived with, with much excitement during our meeting in Stockholm. So several global family group representatives gathered both in person and virtually to discuss how we all could work together potentially. And you were in one of those meetings. So can you share with our audience uh, some of the things that came out of that meeting and how you as president will be instrumental in moving this initiative forward? Yes, thank you so much. I mean, this really was a tremendous opportunity uh, for us as members of the board of the society to meet with representatives from family organizations uh, all over the world. And I'm incredibly uh, grateful to you and especially to Deanna Fournier for having organized this um, meeting. I mean, honestly, without you, it wouldn't have happened. So I think one of the things that we as a board learned, again, is how critical it is that we work together with members of the family organizations. And there are you know, several initiatives that uh, we discussed to try to more effectively work together and learn from one another, because this is really, really important. 
So one of the things that was decided, which I think um, is so simple, but so important is that we've identified representatives of the histiocyte society who will serve as liaisons with the histiocytosis association and the family organizations by actually having, you know, physical people um, from our group who meet with your and other family groups, you know, this is, this is really important. We'll have um, representation and we'll be able to more effectively be on the same page and communicate with one another. We agreed during that meeting that raising awareness about histiocytosis was a really important goal. And there were two projects that emerged from that meeting that are uh, simple, but very important. One project is where the family organizations will identify professional organizations and meetings where we or other select members from the society can go and um, give lectures or make presentations or seminars about the different histiocytic disorders in order to spread knowledge about these diseases. Uh, and for those who are listening on the audience, um, Patients with histiocytosis may be cared for by medical specialists in different fields. They may show up in different parts of the hospital. So it's not just hematologists or oncologists who come into contact with patients with histiocytosis. You have doctors who are immunologists and rheumatologists and infectious disease doctors. And, you know, some of these other doctors don't always think about histiocytosis when they're seeing a patient who presents with specific signs and symptoms. So it's really important that we as an organization reach out to these other professional groups to let them know, hey, you need to think about these diseases when you've got a patient who presents with specific symptoms or other findings. So the family organizations are going to help us to identify these um, groups that we can ourselves go out to and, and provide education. On the other hand, we agreed as members of the Histiocyte Society that we would develop educational materials such as brochures, for example, that would describe these conditions. And we could then provide these to the members of the family groups and those family groups could disseminate them locally to, you know, doctors and others in their area. So these might be doctors from communities that may not always go to the professional organization meetings, the national meetings or international meetings. So through both of these approaches, hopefully we can work together to, you know, increase awareness and understanding of the histiocytic disorders. We've also agreed to have regular, you know, meetings and contacts between society members and the family groups. And uh, I believe there'll be another meeting coming up in November where I'll have the opportunity to um, meet with um, the Histiocytosis Association and, and families here in, in Memphis, Tennessee. So I think this is just the beginning of a beautiful relationship, Kathy. Mm -hmm. And I look forward to working together with the family groups because I think together, we really can work to cure each and every child with histiocytosis. We will really go so much for further working together than either alone. Why, what do you think makes it such an important element to work so closely with the family groups? Well, you know, they're the grassroots, you know, they're, they're, um, first of all, the, the family groups, certainly many of them have experienced these diseases. And I have found that, Families who've been touched by these diseases are often incredibly, incredibly motivated to try to do something good, if not for their children, then for other children and families affected by these diseases. So the energy 
that these families have and the motivation to do good, you know, first of all, serves as a tremendous inspiration to me, but it also really helps to get things going. The family groups are, you know, on the ground and can help teach other families, service support for other families, provide education to other families, as well as to their providers. Often the families I've found tell their doctors more about the diseases than the doctors know themselves, right? I, I see this myself when I'm in clinic, I'll have patients come up to me and say, Dr. Nichols, did you know about this, you know, X, Y, or Z? And I'll be like, what? And have to go look it up afterwards. So I think we can learn a lot from the family uh, members and the family organizations. It's also important for us as providers to understand, first of all, uh, well, actually, there are a couple things. Who are the different family groups? What are their needs? What are their questions? Only by understanding who these groups are and what they are doing and what their goals and missions are and what their questions are, you know, can we as the society do our best to serve the family groups and to work together? So I think we can learn a lot from one another and together we can, you know, take this knowledge and move forward. Right. Absolutely. Now, would you say that your vision for the society and your presidency has changed between when you were elected as president-elect and now? And if so, how? Well, I don't know that my vision has changed. I will say it's evolving um, as I learn more. And I think, you know, one of the things that that I've really come to appreciate is that not everyone has access to the most cutting-edge treatments or access to doctors who understand these diseases. This became actually quite apparent to me, even most recently when I was at the Histiocyte Society meeting in Stockholm. So I roomed with a young doctor from Vietnam, and she told me about her experience taking care of patients with HLH, which of course can be very challenging if you don't have access to the right medications or even the supportive care. So patients with HLH will often get chemotherapy and chemotherapy will reduce your you know, ability to fight infection. And many of the patients she cared for ended up developing infections for which she didn't have antibiotics to treat. And this really is giving me goosebumps talking about it, but it really opened my eyes. You know, there are many, many people around the world who just don't have access to the treatments that I have the good fortune to be, to have access to. And I think what I really have come to appreciate and what, and how my vision has evolved is that, you know, we as a society need to do all that we can to improve information and access to the latest knowledge about histiocytosis and the latest treatment. So if there's anything that we can do that, that we can do to improve this, you know, that would be um, really, really important. So I think my, my, my vision has evolved in that way. Yeah. And what are you hoping to learn or how are you hoping to grow personally during your term? Well, <laughs> I think uh, there's a lot that I have to learn for certain, <laughs> you know, I need, I need to learn, you know, I'm hoping personally to learn how to be a better leader. You know, that's always something we all can, we, we can all improve with. I need to learn as much as I can about the needs of the other providers around the world and in the family groups. And hopefully by learning what the needs of others are, you know, I can try my best to address those needs. I will definitely admit that, you know, I know a certain amount about these diseases, but there is always so much more that I can learn. And from that, I can grow. 
hopefully, as I noted earlier, I can instill what few pearls of wisdom I have on the younger generation. And, you know, I would love to be able to mentor the young generation and, you know, give them the support that they need to be successful in the field of histiocytosis. So if we take a, a kind of a 10,000 foot view and, and look at the bigger picture, what would you say your vision is for the future of the organization after your term has ended, maybe in three, five or 10 years from now? Mm, that's a big question. Well, I think we've learned that uh, the way that the organization functioned previously, which really was as an organization that developed and ran large clinical trials, has become, you know, a process of the past. It's really just not possible to do that anymore. It's too expensive and too complicated. But, you know, the real wealth of the society is the bright minds of the membership. And I think the society can really serve as a nidus, you know, for new ideas, a way to bring together, you know, collective minds to propose new and better projects to understand these diseases and to treat these diseases. I really, really believe that. And hopefully that information will then feed back, you know, to other investigators outside the society and ultimately to the patients and the families. I would love it for the organization to continue to serve as the main resource for histiocytosis around the world, the professional resource for histiocytosis. I would like to see our membership grow. Um, it has steadily grown over the years to now its largest, which is around 250, as you mentioned. But there are yet many, many professionals who can't afford to be a member of the society. So we will work together to um, see what we can do to improve access even to membership of the society. You know, I think by inviting members from around the world and seeing what we can do to reduce costs um, to allow them to join, will then allow them to take information back to their communities. So hopefully, you know, growth of the society both in number and in knowledge um, and as serving as a resource for others in the field, both patients and families and providers. But the, the Histiocytosis Association and the Histiocyte Society have been, as I mentioned, very close partners for well over 30 years, going on 40 years now. And one of our goals at the association is to kind of pull back the veil maybe on mm -hmm. the Histiocyte Society and share a little bit more about what the society is up to and um, how how we're working together. So with that in mind, do you have any final thoughts or comments you'd like to share with our Histio community? So Kathy, one of the things that I, I really um, think is tremendous that relates to the relationship between the Histiocytosis Association and the Histiocyte Society is how much we have been able to benefit one off of the other. And one an excellent example is by providing research funding, the Histiocytosis Association has allowed members of the society to carry out seminal research projects that have provided, you know, critical information about the biology of the histiocytic disorders. And it's really thanks to this funding that we have been able to gain new knowledge and then to take it back um, to develop better treatments for patients and better ways to diagnose patients. So I think this is an, an excellent and an amazing example of how 
the two organizations have worked well together. And by continuing this process, I think we will only be able to further push the boundaries of CURE. I would love the Histio community to know that I and each of the members of the society, you know, we are here for you. We want to be able to hear your questions, your concerns, learn about your needs, and hopefully we can work together to address those. I truly, truly believe that by working together, we will achieve so much more than either working alone. And I just want you to know that we're there for you. And we have so we have learned already so much from our patients and we can continue to learn more. Please, please feel free to reach out to me or other members of the board of society. Anything we can do to help, we would like to do that. Excellent. Well, I think that this has been a really great conversation. It's um, really interesting and exciting to see what what you have in mind for your presidency and where the society is going to go. And I think for our listeners, even more exciting to hear about how we're all trying to work together and kind of improve on that that beautiful cycle that I talked about in the beginning. So I want to thank you so much for taking your time to talk with us today. And uh, maybe we will check back in with you maybe mid mid uh, presidency and see how things are going. Oh, I think that would be a great idea. And I would look forward to that, Kathy. Thank you so much. And thank you to all the listeners. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this update from Dr. Nichols and that you find learning about what the Histiocyte Society is working on encouraging. As we all continue to work together, we get closer and closer to realizing earlier diagnosis, better treatments, and a cure for histiocytosis. So I echo Dr. Nichols' sentiment and say thank you for all of your support because none of this could happen without you. If you like this episode, please consider leaving a review, sharing with a friend, leaving us a comment, or taking a screenshot of the episode and tagging us on Instagram at histiocytosis underscore association. And of course, don't forget to subscribe so you're notified every time a new episode of Beyond the Diagnosis is released. Remember, we want to hear from you. If you have an idea for a podcast episode, you can email it to podcast at histio.org and put podcast idea in the subject line. For links to websites, studies, articles, or resources referenced in today's episode, be sure to check the show notes. As always, we've so enjoyed bringing you this episode of the podcast and look forward to sharing our next episode coming soon. Until then, take good care.